Without a doubt, we are making our way through an abnormal time in history. You may find yourself turning away from all the news reports thinking, what's next? Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. None of us are alone in trying to process all the news. Do you find yourself leaning harder on Jesus Christ and digging deeper into the gospel for comfort, assurance, and discernment? The gospel has a miraculous way of bringing stability to a constantly changing world around us. Let's start a new series today called Models of Good Citizenship. Here's John with part two. And so the gospel Paul is teaching, it has profound implications in all areas of the Christian's life, including his or her vocation as a Christian citizen. I will have more to talk about the, the doctrine of vocation in the weeks ahead, but just to get this in your thinking, the, Paul is teaching us that in Titus chapter 3, the gospel has implications for Christian leaders in the church chapter 1. It has implications for church members in the church, chapter 2. And and in chapter 3, it has implications for how Christians live as citizens in society. Okay, so the the gospel, look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Literally, what Paul says here is that the gospel, listen carefully, civilizes the church. It brings civilization. It civilizes the church in an uncivil society. He says in chapter 2, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. This this phrase, all men, refers back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where he talks about all the different categories or groups of men, people, literally people in the church. He's talking about uh, uh, men and women, older men and women, younger men and women. He's talking about employers and employees, church members in the church, all these different groups. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all these different types of groups of people. And he says, look, the the grace of God, the gospel is constantly instructing, teaching us to deny ungodliness. And look at this, worldly desires. and, And how does the gospel teach us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age? looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every, look, lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so the gospel, Paul says, brings this civilizing effect upon the church in an uncivil world. And so it's important to remember this, is that Christians are pilgrims. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and then Paul says in chapter Titus chapter 2, verse 12 here, that we are pilgrims that are journeying through this present age to the age to come, looking for the blessed hope, looking for the consummation of the gospel, chapter 2, verse 13. And because of this fact that we're like this, we as Christians are simultaneously citizens of two kingdoms. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, Christ's kingdom, but we're also citizens of the the kingdom of the United States of America. We're American citizens. And so what Paul is teaching here is that as the the heavenly uh, citizenship that we have in Christ's kingdom is to influence our earthly citizenship and how we live in this world. So Christians are dual citizens, and, and, it, and this heavenly citizenship, chapter 3, we read it, verses 4 through 7, 
is the source of what creates a very different type of United States of American citizen. All right? And so what I want you to see as we look at this series from Titus chapter 3 is that good citizenship must always remain self-consciously gospel-centered to display godliness in the public life, the public square, for this purpose, chapter 3, verse 8, to bring benefits to unbelievers, to benefit your city. Look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8. He said, this is a trustworthy statement. That refers back to chapter uh, 3, verses 4 through 7, the gospel that he just gives, this Trinitarian creed of the first century. He said, that's a trustworthy statement. And then he says, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. And he says, these good deeds are good and profitable for men. It benefits your city. The gospel creates citizens who benefit their, their city, who bring civilization to their society in which they live. And so this chapter begins by discussing the importance of understanding that Paul's uh, concern moves beyond civic righteousness. Civic righteousness is external conformity to the laws of the state, which is civic righteousness is lacking in a lot of places right now. But if, if a stop sign says stop, you stop. And if you don't stop, and Brendan's sitting there, you're going to get stopped. <laughs> and you're going to get a ticket. And it doesn't matter if you're a member of Paramount Church. Because <laughs> you broke the law. So stop. Because if you don't stop at a stop sign, it becomes a moral issue at that point because you could kill somebody. Right? But Paul's concern is that Christian citizenship goes beyond that which is defined by the state as consisting in good public civility. For example, the creed and believers back then and the creed and unbelievers both that were paying taxes to the Roman government. That's external conformity to the laws of the state. Pay up, right? But Paul's concern is that God's people in the church exhibit good works for the sake of those who are lost so that those who are lost can observe our behavior that is born from the gospel, chapter 2, verse 5, so that the gospel is not, first of all, reviled, right? He says, but chapter 2, verse 10, so that the gospel is adorned. We make it look attractive, so Christians don't destroy personal property. They rightly protest injustice and fight for justice, but they don't destroy personal property. Right? There's a big difference. Christians respond differently. We are different. We heard that this morning in our gospel reading. We are going to be looked at as very different and oftentimes hated for that. But the Apostle Paul says the gospel teaches us to live in such a way that the gospel is not reviled but adorned so that no charges can be justifiably brought against the message of the gospel, chapter 2, verse 8. See, Paul is concerned about the witness of the gospel so that the unbelievers who are destroying personal property can be saved and not do that anymore, and then you benefit your city, you see. And so Paul is concerned about order in the widest possible sense, 
in this letter, precisely because the church is God's household, it is his chosen instrument for proclaiming the gospel to its lost neighbors. That's the whole context of what's happening here in Titus chapter 3. And so what I want you to see today is this, is um, where does the source of good citizenship come from? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, all right, he describes two different kinds of people. First, he describes the people who are under the tyranny of sin. Second, he describes those whom God in Christ has delivered from sin's hold. So he's describing believers and unbelievers. And so to understand the source of good citizenship, you have to recognize the differences that result from God's deliverance. So he employs this conversion formula. He says, you were formerly this, but now you're this, right? He says, without Christ, this is how you used to be. He says, but now that you have received Christ and been converted, he says, your lives move along very different paths than your neighbors in Crete. And so what is the source of good citizenship? Here's the first point. How do we live as good citizens? Where does it come from? First of all, chapter 3, verse 3, here's the first point. Paul says, Titus, I want you to remind believers of their pre-conversion state of bondage. Remind believers of what they were like prior to being converted by this gospel. So look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3 with me. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He was like, the Cretan believers were like, and he says, and this is what all of us were like prior to our conversion. He says, for we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved in various lust and pleasure, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And so Paul says, look, Titus, I want you to remind believers of their dreadful condition prior to their conversion so that believers are filled with humility. The Apostle Paul understood that it was very difficult for Christians to not always be gentle and show courtesy toward people who are envious and hateful and full of malice, right? We all know that. When somebody does not treat us nice, what is our first instinct? Oh, I'm going to be gentle. <laughs> um, I'm going to show courtesy. I'm going to be patient and loving. And, and uh, No, I mean, we just like, mm. <laughs> it's just, it's just difficult to live with unconverted people. It's difficult to live with converted people. <laughs> if you've been married, you will know. <laughs> um, and Paul says, Titus, just, just remind them of what all of those Cretans who are now in the church were like as Cretans. Because when you go back in chapter 1, where Paul talks about the Cretans' reputation... He says in chapter 1, verse 12, one of themselves, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. These were bad people. This was a lawless culture that Paul went to. And Paul says, don't ever forget that was you. 
Humility is a social grace that adorns the gospel before outsiders. And this sweeping statement on human depravity, we ourselves, Paul says, I'm including myself in that. The point is, he says, all people stand in need of salvation. In a part, chapter 3, verse 4, from the goodness and loving kindness of the triune God, he says, you and I both, Cretans, would still be in bondage like our pagan neighbors. And so it's healthy to be reminded of our pre-conversion manner of life to keep us from becoming overly impressed by a sense of our own progress and how sanctified we think we are, right? I was thinking over this uh, course of quarantine as it went on and as it went on and on and on and on, just daily, I could just feel the tension in me just getting to a point where I was about to literally explode, and I finally did. And I'm like, golly, just you are really, you know, don't ever forget where you've come from. We have nothing to boast about in comparison to our pagan neighbors who burned down businesses. We don't agree with it. It is wrong that we should not be burning down businesses, right? Committing crime, destroying people's livelihoods. But we still have nothing to boast about in comparison to the way our pagan neighbors live because Paul says, we too once lived in this slavery ourselves. So in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, he, he, we're going to come back to these civic duties. Paul gives seven civic duties on how Christians are to conduct themselves in society which is born from the gospel. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. But in verse 3, I want to quickly walk through with you these seven civic vices that the Apostle Paul lists for us in a pre-conversion state where you're in bondage to your sin. Because all of these vices characterize the anti-civic behavior of those who are under bondage. Reminding believers of their own former state of bondage before the triune God, verses 4 through 7, delivered them, saved them. Let's look at each of these vices. Here's the first one, foolish. So Paul says to help believers live as models of good citizens in an uncivil society, just remember that you were once very foolish. Foolish speaks of the intellectual and spiritual condition of people before becoming Christians. Apart from the saving work of the Holy Spirit, chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, that we'll look at, Paul says that, all men are without spiritual understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, It is impossible, what? For the, uh, for the uh, unspiritual man to perceive the things of God. It is impossible. Second, look what he says. Uh, you were once disobedient. You were once violating the fifth commandment constantly. And as I said, I'm going to come back to this because this is very pertinent to our society. But Paul addresses the problem of disobedience to God and to human authority uh, in the Cretan churches. Listen to how many times he does it in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 9. Chapter 2, verse 15. And chapter 3, verse 1. He is repeatedly addressing a lack of submission to authority. So this problem of insubordination is due in part, chapter 1, verse 16, to destructive influences of false teachers who had come into the church. 
And so Paul thinks it is necessary to call new Cretan believers to submit to and obey all rulers who are in authority over them. So we're going to come back to that, but this is very important to our day and age. Third, look what he says. He says, you were deceived. He calls on believers, remember that formerly you were deceived, you were led astray. This deception being led astray is the natural result of a lack of spiritual understanding of being foolish, of disregarding God's law. When you're in active rebellion, of course, you're going to be led astray. This is what Christ warns in Matthew chapter 24, verses 11 and 24. He warns that in the end times, many false prophets will arise and, and listen and lead many astray, if possible, even the elect. Paul says, before we become Christians, we just wander. We wander about in this world and are lost, duped by Satan, duped by false teachers. Then the fourth thing, look what he says. He says, we were slaves. He says, remember, you were slaves, the various passions and pleasures. Prior to conversion, all human beings, whether they know it or not, they're slaves to all kinds of sinful passions and pleasures. Listen to what Martin Luther says. He says, to serve pleasure and to fulfill our pleasure and lust is not to hate them, but to become enslaved to them. Those who are slaves to their sinful passions and pleasures are opposed to the will of God, which involves violating the seventh commandment. This has to do with sexual purity. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, that men, listen, either live according to their own desires or according to God's law. And so he says this hedonistic behavior destroys human relationships, both in the church and in society. And it's the opposite of loving God, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. Then look what Paul says. He says, Titus, remind the believers, he says, tell them that before God saved them, they spent their whole life living in malice and envy. That's the 10th commandment, coveting. Malice, the 6th commandment. What is malice? It's, it, it means to be mean-spirited, to be a, have a vicious attitude, a vicious disposition, to have ill will towards people all the time. Don't, I, mean, that, I think that's very clear in our culture right now. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 29, that malice actually characterizes all men who have turned from God. Then he says that before our conversion, he says envy. What is envy? It's grudging spirit that cannot bear to contemplate someone else's prosperity or their successes. When you watch somebody else succeed, but you struggle and you envy that, you can't bear to see them succeed while you don't. Envy. And so malice and envy violate the sixth commandment. It reveals a heart filled with hatred towards one's neighbor. That's why Paul ends this list and culminates his list with hateful and hated. He says that before you were converted by the kindness of God by grace... He says, just remind them that you are hateful and hating one another. This encompasses all the other imperfections. This is the breaking of the great commandment, love God and love your neighbor perfectly. Because 
all men are born enslaved to sin. No one can keep the great commandment perfectly. Rather, we are all born into this world by nature inclined to hate God and to hate our neighbor. So this is Paul's description of the Christian before God saves him or her, and it's quite dreadful, isn't it? It's kind of gloomy, isn't it? It is. But this condition in Titus chapter 3, verse 3, is the way God sees sinners in their unsaved state. And so it is very healthy to be reminded as believers that we were once ourselves enslaved by these same sins. This was our condition. This is who we were and how we lived. And so this reminder uh, humbles us and it keeps us from hating our unsaved neighbors. We do fail. We do hate our neighbors at times, beginning with our own wives and our own children, who are our most important neighbors. But as, but as Paul is talking about, as, as we move out into the greater sphere of, of the public square, and we see lots of this all over the place, it's easy to let the culture dictate how we respond rather than the gospel. And so Paul is saying, Titus, remind these believers in Crete and the Holy Spirit through the scriptures today, remind the believers in Jacksonville at Paramount Church. The gospel is teaching us a whole different path. This is how one New Testament scholar puts it. He says, let us not be too hard on the people who are still in that condition, but let us strive by godly conduct to win them for Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, reminding believers of their pre-conversion state of bondage keeps them from taking the gospel for granted. It helps them appreciate the magnitude of God's grace that has come into their life. And so as we close, just listen. Listen to the contrast of verse 3 to verse 4. So here you have hateful and hating one another, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. What a contrast. Hateful and hating one another, but when, look, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. As we'll see next week, God is the perfect, consummate public servant who rules his people not to enslave them, but to free them through his kindness and his grace and his love. He is the perfect model citizen who to his hateful neighbors who are enslaved to their sin, shows them grace and mercy richly. What an amazing gospel we have.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this kindness that has appeared to us. We thank you for this love, this grace, and this mercy that has been given to us because we were once foolish ourselves, enslaved to various passions and pleasures, passing our life in malice and envy, hating and hateful towards everyone. And in the midst of such broken, fallen sin, your kindness invaded our life and set us on a different path. And so as, as hard as it, it is to live in a fallen culture where people are living in this state, I pray that you would help us as believers to have our lives move along different paths for the sake of adorning the gospel and winning those who are lost in this condition to saving faith. Forgive us for our many failures and empower us to live a life that is filled with godliness that we might adorn the gospel. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, John. The message you just received is called Models of Good Citizenship, Part 2. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.